Well, good morning, neighbors. When you watch that, if you're like me, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers every morning. Anyone else? It doesn't it tap something profoundly deep inside of you. There's this sense of something so beautiful and something so simple and something so powerful. And this question, won't you be my neighbor? It's such a simple question. But Mr. Rogers' life is a, a testimony of what profound things can actually happen if we were to take that question literally. And over the next few weeks, this family, the Shoal Creek family, which I think is an amazing family, I'm really glad to be with you this morning, we're going to be asking this question. Like, what would happen if the people of Shoal Creek Community Church actually loved and blessed their neighbors in their neighborhood? Again, simple question. But if you think about the potential inside of it, it actually is profound. Mr. Rogers is the proof of that. I mean, in this room and those that are watching online this morning, I imagine the Shoal Creek family has been just sprinkled like salt, that's the analogy Jesus used, into probably dozens or scores, maybe even hundreds of neighborhoods. And, and the question is, what if rather than me cocooning and seeing my house as a, a place where I get away from people, I began to intentionally, because I want to love my neighbor and be a neighbor, cross the street or cross the fence with an open mind and an open heart with some open-ended questions to learn and listen to the story of my neighbor or my neighborhood. What if instead of just settling for the courtesy wave, right? Can, ever, can you practice the courtesy wave with me, right? The courtesy wave. What if we went beyond the courtesy wave with open hands to, to maybe an invitation to, to a table for a meal or to, to watch the royals together, an invitation to let, let's work on that project together. I'll help you. An, an open hand to serve. What might happen? What new stories might unfold? What surprises might the Holy Spirit have for us? And it's such a simple question. It's easy to just skip over it and miss the wonder that could actually unfold in my life if I were to join Jesus in that mission. That's so simple. It's so ordinary. I don't have to go anywhere else. I don't have to cross an ocean. I don't have to cross a jungle. I don't have to leave my zip code. I don't have to leave even my street, my address, to join Jesus in this adventure of what he's doing to redeem and restore people and places. But it's so easy to get pulled out of that. I remember it was probably 15, 16 years ago, um, standing at the end of my driveway. And it was a Saturday morning, and a lot of people were out in my neighborhood. This was back in Indiana. I was a pastor at a large church there. We'd started as a church plant, and then we had grown to this large church, and my responsibilities had increased over time. At that point in time, I was a teaching pastor. I was overseeing all the local and global mission. I was overseeing youth ministry and, and young adult ministry, and my life was so full. In fact, in terms of local mission, we had seen this amazing neighborhood renewal movement in what was probably the most at-risk neighborhood in South Bend, Indiana. And, it, and just a new story, and it blossomed into this community center that had vocational training and GED training and a food pantry, and, and there was tutoring programs for kids, and there was after-school programs and sports. And then internationally, 
by God's grace, I'd fell, fallen into, and our church had fallen into the beginning of what became a genuine disciple-making movement in southern India. It was getting to unreached people groups who had never heard the gospel before. It eventually became this movement with literally thousands of new churches in it. It was unbelievable. Some years I was spending two or three months a year over in India. Now, are you getting the picture of like, this was a really busy life for me, right? And, I, and I'm doing the work of God, but I realized on that Saturday morning as I was standing at the end of my driveway, I looked down and I realized these neighbors, two or three or four houses down, I don't even know their names. And I don't remember if it was a book I was reading or a sermon I had heard or a conversation that I had, but I remember I was thinking about myself in terms of being a neighbor that whole week prior. And that morning as I stood at the end of my driveway, it, I had this very real sense of Jesus' presence with me. Now, he's always present. Can I get an amen? But there's times we become more aware. And, and Jesus, in his loving and provocative way, it was like I could hear him ask me, do you know their names? And I realized, I like know their names. I know those neighbors there. I know those neighbors there. But everybody who's like two houses more away, I'm like, I don't. And then it was like Jesus ran a film in my head. And we had lived a couple other places previously, and I realized at both of those places earlier in my journey, I actually did know the neighbors. And we ended up becoming friends with our neighbors. And some of those neighbors started to follow Jesus with us. And then I realized, I've been in this neighborhood for years, and I don't even know everybody's name. And I suddenly realized, if Jesus lived in my neighborhood, it wouldn't be this way. And something has changed that I was basically unconscious of. I began to realize I was seeing my home now as a refuge where I could get away from people. Like, I didn't want to come home and talk to anyone else. I was like, no, I want to turn off, like, mission and ministry when I get home. I just, I just kind of want to disappear and be anonymous. And Jesus, in that gentle and provocative way he does, he was like, I know you see this as a way of protecting yourself and taking care of yourself and trying to do some self-care, but I'm telling you, if you trust me, if you join me, there's a way that will actually lead to deeper joy, deeper rest, deeper life. And it was so clear. It was like the Lord said to me, I know you're doing all this time in, in South Bend, Indiana, and all this time in India. And the truth was, I knew more people's names in Monroe Circle, that neighborhood on the other side of town, and in villages in India than I did in my own neighborhood. That's where it was at. And, and I could just tell Jesus was asking me this question. What would it be like if I lived in your neighborhood? And I remember in my mind thinking, well, you'd certainly know their names. And I started to repent. I was like, Lord, I can't skip my Jerusalem to go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like, I have to start where I actually live, where you've actually sent me. And it started this journey with a simple prayer there saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm I've lost my way, and what should I do? What should I do? And I went inside, and my wife was inside near the kitchen table, and I told her, I just actually confessed it to her. Like, here's where I'm at. This is what the Lord just showed me. Like, where do we start? What should we do? And it didn't take her one second. She just pointed at our kitchen table, and she said, we should just open up our table. We should ask our girls to invite the kids from the neighborhood to eat with us more often. And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. So at dinner that night, we announced to the girls, hey, this table is open. We know you know all the kids in the neighborhood. 
and you can invite whoever you want. And they were like, all right. And they took us up on it. I mean, immediately, we had kids that night. You know, they're like, boom, they're gone. They come back. Hey, what's up? What's your name? <laughs> right? Oh, you're Nathan. Good to meet you. How are you? Ethan, good to meet you, you know? And they just loved it. And I'm, this is a true story. A month later, I, I'm a budget guy. We had doubled our budget on groceries. Like, I'm like, I need a raise to be a good neighbor. This is insane, right? And this steady cycle of kids started coming to our table. And, and we just, we didn't really do anything different. We kept doing the things that we would do as a family. Like, we'd always pray before we eat. And we'd do this thing, highs and lows. Anyone ever done that at the kitchen table? What was your high today? What was your low? And what was nuts, like, within just, like, four to six weeks, we started to meet their parents. And I remember uh, Ethan's mom actually came and uh, she was talking to Michelle. I wasn't there at the time. She, Michelle was telling me about it. She's like, yeah, so we met. We're talking. We've been, you know, getting to know each other's stories a little bit. And about three or four minutes in, she said, so I have to understand. Now, Ethan, he won't let us eat now without praying. And then he says we have to do ups and downs. What are ups and downs? <laughs> he hadn't translated it quite right, you know. <laughs> but highs and lows. So this family began to pray before their meals because their son insisted. And started doing highs and lows. Isn't that interesting? How Jesus works? How he creates hunger and awareness through even little children? And it started just an amazing journey for us personally. And man, there were challenges and there were times where we felt stressed and overwhelmed by having this kind of open table. I have to be honest. But I will tell you by far that I found in my neighborhood that my renewal strategy by trying to protect myself and hide away, it wasn't working. And Jesus' renewal strategy in the way of neighborly love and hospitality brought me so much more joy, so much more life, so much more community. So this invitation to love our neighbor by all means is for their benefit, but I'm telling you it is for your benefit too. For the fullness of Jesus' life to be built and expressed in you. And I want to ask you, if you grab this little magnet, it just asks this powerful question, who is my neighbor? And the thing I had to admit at that point in time in my journey is that I could only fill out three of these tiles. So we're going to do this as an exercise to just ask you to consider your nine closest neighbors. Now, they might not all be around your uh, house geographically, but like the nice... Nine closest houses. We're going to give you just a couple minutes to fill these out. How many names can you put in there? But I want to say before you do that, this is not an exercise to try to make you feel bad about yourself. Can I get an amen? Right? This is not an exercise to try to shame you into some kind of new behavior. In fact, I, I hope you would see it uh, as a moment to stand next to Jesus like I did in my driveway. In the loving, powerful presence of Jesus who sees you for not who you currently are, but for who you were meant to be and designed to be, the, the truest version of you that he had in mind when he thought you up. And would you consider who is my neighbor? And I know this can actually be a little scary to fill out too, because it's like, I don't know if I want to get attached to these people. They're jacked up. This guy, whoa, I don't know his name and I don't want to, right? <laughs> So I just want to remind you, you know, that the, the early disciples 
when the resurrected Jesus came to them, they were afraid. Because Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And we always think of Jesus' three years of public ministry as the part where he was sent. He spent 90% of his time on planet Earth in one neighborhood, in one little village. Are you with me? Nazareth. Jesus lived in Nazareth for how many years? About 30. When God came to planet Earth, most of his ministry was done in an invisible way in a backwater town in some mundane little neighborhood. Are you with me? What does that tell you? When God came and put on flesh and blood, he spent 90% of his time just being an ordinary son and being a carpenter and being a neighbor and being a sibling and, and doing the invisible, mundane things. See, the glory of God can fill those mundane areas because when Jesus went to get baptized, he hadn't done one miracle, he hadn't preached one sermon, and the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Can I get an amen? He was just doing ordinary stuff. But he was doing it in the, with the life and the love of his father. That's this invitation. So I'm going to pray for you. Because when Jesus sent the disciples, he said, as the father sent me, I'm sending you. Do you remember what he did? He breathed on them. He was breathing on them. It's a symbol of the gift of the spirit. And God's spirit, if you're trusting Jesus as your savior and Lord, he is in you. He can give you courage. He can give you creativity. He can give you wisdom. And right now, he can take away any toxic shame so that you, as you write these names, you can just begin to feel the heart of God. So let's pray, and then I'm going to give you a couple minutes to write some names down. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are here, that you are present, and that you are at work in our neighborhood. And we want to open up our hearts today to imagine what would it be like if you lived in our neighborhood. And one thing we know, Lord, is that you would know people's names. So, Lord, as we uh, look at our little sheet now, as we fill this out with names, uh, help us to begin to have your heart for those that live there. And I ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So go ahead and start filling this out. Put as many names down as you can. And getting to know names, that's a part of it. Because names, when someone knows your name, that means they value you. You know, if I'm always like, dude, hey, dude. What's up, man? Good to see you, dude, man. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> but if I know your name, it means I value you. And the question is, okay, how do we do this thing? Like, what, what, what is, what's the art of neighboring? What is God's plan, actually? And to answer those questions, we just need to go back to the beginning of the capital S story. And we need to go to Genesis chapter 12, because God has this strategy it's really his only strategy for his people and it's quite simply a blessing strategy let's read this out loud together genesis 12 verses 2 and 3 nice and loud i will bless you and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you now this passage was actually a revolutionary moment in history the world in terms of religion at that point in time it was what you could describe as a tribal violent, exclusive polytheism. It's basically like, my God's bigger than your God, and we're going to rape and pillage and plunder in the name of our God, and if we win, that proves our God is bigger than your God, and our God's better than your God. Into the middle of that kind of chaos 
comes the one true voice of the one living God. And what is being introduced to Abraham and to all of us at this radical moment in history is this universal, loving, inclusive monotheism. God is saying, I am for everybody. Abraham, I'm not just for you. I'm for all these other tribes, peoples. I'm for all of them. And my strategy is I'm going to be good to you. I'm entering into what we know will be a covenant relationship with you. And I'm going to bless you. But here's the point. If you want to experience the fullness of that blessing, you have to let it flow through you. There's a mission in this blessing. And what I'm giving to you, I just simply want you to pass that on to others. And that's still radical today, isn't it? And it's, it, it was a game changer then, it's a game changer today. God's big idea is he blesses us so that we can bless other people, so that we can join him. It's that simple. So it's not my job to change or convert anyone. That's above my pay grade. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? My job is what? To bless people. Isn't that good news? It's like God says, I want you to bless them. Like the good things I give to you, find ways to just share that and pass that on. So we were made to bless. And we're going to use bless as this simple acrostic. You may have even heard this before. It's, if you want to know how do I actually bless someone, I want to share just five simple rhythms, five simple practices that will absolutely help you flow in the fuller blessing of God, but it will also make you a blessing to others. And here's the simple acrostic. The B in bless is begin in prayer. The L is listen and engage. The E is eat. I'm a power eater. Anyone else? Right? I'm blessed at eating. The next S is serve, and the last S is story. And for each of these rhythms or practices of begin in prayer, listen and engage, eat, serve, and story, there's kind of an in and out motion. For each rhythm, we have to learn how to breathe in and out. These five rhythms or practices, the goal is for it to become almost like unconscious confidence. Like right now, you don't have to think, boy, I got to keep breathing. You didn't get up in the morning and go, remember to breathe. You have an unconscious competence. As we begin to practice these five simple ways of blessing, eventually it becomes like this unconscious competence, like breathing in and breathing out. So if we're going to bless our neighbors, if we're going to love our neighbor, here's the first thing. We begin in prayer. We begin in prayer. We have to breathe in and breathe out prayer. I want to talk just quickly about two different types of prayer. They'll help you be a blessing. So we breathe in. What we mean is we discover our mission by listening for Jesus' voice through prayer. It's a listening type of prayer, a contemplative form of prayer. And then we breathe out. We do mission by praying for people and places. So we start with this kind of breathing in prayer where we're listening. See, Jesus said he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, we will receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem. And if you've trusted Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. And you didn't get a junior varsity version of the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He's in you. And if you look at the the book of Acts and the story of the early church, you're going to see it wasn't that they had some amazing strategy It was actually the Holy Spirit that energized 
all of the gospeling and good newsing and blessing. It was the Holy Spirit. And see, the, the, the word for Holy Spirit, he's called the paraclete, which gets translated in a lot of Bibles as the helper, which doesn't help in our culture. Because for us, if you're my helper, I'm the senior partner, and you're what? The junior partner. You're the helper, right? Like, this is on me. I'm going to do it. And then you're going to come along and help me as I tell you what to do. But that isn't how it is with the Holy Spirit. He is the senior partner. Can someone say that's right? And we're the junior partner, which is good news. I don't have to be in charge. I'm, I get to move in the flow of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And when you look at the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit leading people to particular actions and particular people and particular conversations. Like a great example is Philip. And, and the Holy Spirit actually leads him to go on this particular street. And when he gets there, there's this guy who's in a chariot. And he's reading a scroll. And the Holy Spirit says, Psst, go there. Go talk to him. Now, that had to be a little unnerving. Because a chariot in that culture would be like a completely tricked out Escalade. Right? <laughs> and then he's got a scroll. You know, no one had scrolls. Like, this was a very expensive thing. So it'd be like, you're told to go to the street. And there's this guy in Escalade. And he's reading some really expensive book. You're like, I don't want to interrupt that guy. Like, he's going to think I'm a weirdo. But... He follows the prompting. And see, that's where this listening prayer comes in. The number one skill of a great neighbor who's neighboring in the name of Jesus is to hear the voice of God and then respond. You don't have to be a genius. You just have to be paying attention. And we begin in prayer because when we begin to develop a prayer life, we, that's where it's the space where we remember how good Jesus is and how gracious he is and how glorious he is. And how great he is. And as, you, as the eyes of your heart are enlightened as you're praying, you see how amazing Jesus is. And you're being filled with the fullness of Jesus. You want to share him with other people. See, the first step into being a neighbor actually isn't into the streets. It's into solitude with Jesus. And, and Jesus modeled this. Um, if you look at Luke 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He went to the solitude to be with his father. To remember that he's the beloved. To, to, to reflect and remember his father's words as they're captured in the scriptures. And he was filled again by the love and the life of the father. And look at what he says then. Out of that place of solitude, alone with his father, he says, I do nothing on my own initiative. I speak the things as the father taught me. Or in John 12, he says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who has sent me is himself given what to say and what to speak. So we start with this listening type of prayer. And if you're wondering, well, what is that? How does that work? What does that look like? Well, let me give you just a couple simple questions. Here's the first one. What if you just started to pray, God, where are you already at work where I live? Like, just... Maybe when you're mowing the lawn, you say, Lord, show me where you're at work in this neighborhood. And just open your eyes and look around. See who's there. You may see a neighbor. And go, God, I just want to pray you bless that neighbor. I pray you just open up an opportunity for us to connect, get to know each other's names. God, whatever you're doing, show me. Like when you're walking the dog, you can just underneath your breast saying, God, show me where you're at work and how I can join you. When you go to get the mail, before you go out there, you know, just as you walk out, Lord, Show me where you're at work and how I can join you. I triple dog dare you to just 
pray this kind of listening prayer. Like do this, just try to do this three to five days a week for the next four weeks in this series and see if you aren't invited into some kind of new adventure that the Holy Spirit has created, not you. Then that's not a little exciting. Then that's not a little interesting. What might God do if you just were to ask that question, Lord, show me where you are at work, where I live and how I can join you. That's a listening type of prayer. And then there's a breathing out type of prayer. And this breathing out type of prayer, it's simply praying for neighbors by name. As you get to know neighbors, you're writing their names down, and you begin to simply pray for them by name and praying for Jesus to restore your neighborhood. Now, if you want some help with this, there's an amazing website called blesseveryhome.com. I use this, and I'm a part of this decentralized network of microchurches in our city called the Kansas City Underground. We have scores of our, of our folks who use this. And you go in there and you put in your address and just use this publicly available data. There's no weird stalking or hacking going on. And what it will do is you can kind of pick the range of like, I want to pray for my 50 closest neighbors or my 100 closest neighbors. And then it will send you the names of five neighbors. And there's a little map so you'll see where they live. And it will give you a short scripture and a short prayer prompt. And it literally takes five minutes. And I get it every morning. It's one of the first things I do is I, I get my cup of coffee, right? And, and then I, I have this practice of like, there's some scripture that I read, but in the morning, I pray for those five neighbors. It's a really simple way to begin to pray for neighbors by name and actually be getting to know their neighbors' names as well. And here's God's promise that he said, my father and I are always at work. He is at work in your neighborhood, but you begin in prayer. Then let's talk about the L. Begin in prayer. We're going to breathe in and breathe out prayer. We discover our mission by praying, by listening and responding. And we do our mission by praying for our neighbors by name, praying for our neighborhood. But we need to listen. Because as we pray, the Lord is going to open up opportunities for us to connect. And we listen and engage. This is where we are breathing in and breathing out relationship. We're intentionally building relationship. We want our neighbors to go from strangers to acquaintances, from acquaintances to friends. That's the goal. Lord, help me to be a friend to my neighbors and do that in very simple and normal and relational ways. And so how do we do that? Well, we breathe in by listening to the people and places God has sent us to. And then we breathe out by engaging relationship on what we're learning about those people and those places. So we go with this posture of listening. It says of Jesus, the first time he appears in the scripture where he's able to speak, he's 12 years old, and it says this of him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. And what is the first thing Jesus is described as doing? Listening. It says he listened to them and asked them questions. And if, you, if you've ever spent time in the Gospels, you realize something. Hey, when Jesus gets asked a question, what does he usually respond with? Another question. Isn't that interesting? For example... The earliest gospel, the gospel of Mark, there are 67 episodes in which there is any kind of conversation. In those 67 episodes, Jesus asked 50 questions. Isn't that interesting? If anyone ever had the right to do all the talking, it would have been the Son of God. But he starts by listening. And if you notice, when Jesus is sharing, he's engaging conversation, he's engaging based off of a posture of listening. So to fishermen, he talks about what? Fishing. To farmers, he talks about what? Farming. 
To the woman at the well, he talks about what? Water, right? He didn't have a standard operating procedure. He's listening to the story of the person in front of him and the place that they're in, and he begins to speak in their language. Jesus was a listener. Why? Because people listen to people who listen. So I want to encourage you today. It's not so much about how eloquent you can be and knowing all the right things to say. It's actually more about knowing how to ask good, open-ended questions. Like, get to know people's histories. Like, hey, tell me about where, where you grew up. You know, tell me a little bit about your family. Tell me about what you do for a living, you know. Why do you love that? How did you get into that? You know, a great phrase I've used over and over again is like, hey, tell me a little more about that. Tell me a little more about that. You know, they start telling you about their kids. Tell me a little bit more about that. But what are they into? What are their heart passions? You know, what are their hopes? Keep asking good, open-ended questions. And as you do, you're going to go beyond their names to getting to know their stories, Beyond the data into like the depth of their hearts. And that takes us back to this, okay? Grab this again. We're going to do a little double click on here. And for wherever you wrote down names, I want you to think about two things. One would be like, what are some data points you know about those people? Like, do you know how many kids they have? Or do they have a dog? Or what their job is? Like, do you know just some basic data about them? And then the other thing is, if, if you've gone beyond the data to some depth like you know maybe you know his mom got diagnosed with cancer six months ago i i know that part of their story or you know they just got a big promotion at work and they're excited but they're also really nervous about it so if you know some data points jot that down if you know some things of depth write that down as well okay and if you if you don't know either one of those that's okay you could actually we're gonna enjoy another song and during that time, you could just start to pray for them. That, Lord, open their hearts. Show me where you're working their life. So start working on the data and the depth. I think at a lot of kind of middle class, upper middle class, upper class neighborhoods, there's a strong sense of trying to manage our image. You know, we want to present well. And that can be an intimidating barrier. I'm like, how do we break through that? Well, first of all, begin in prayer. That's how we break through it. The Holy Spirit going ahead, doing what we could never do, arranging circumstances and creating desire and convicting. These are things that we cannot do with merely human effort. So we begin in prayer and begin to pray. And then we take this posture of listening. And if you do this over time, and if you stay in it, so for example, in our current neighborhood, the first 18 months was us just trying to get to know neighbors' names and noticing, kind of listening, not only to our neighbors, but our neighborhood. Like, okay, where do people gather or connect? Are there any convergent spaces at all? And you start to notice, it's like, well, you know what? Four, five, six people go to the community mailbox right around 5.30 because they're getting home from work, right? So I could choose to get my mail at 5.30 and there's a little like chat up, you know, it's like the water cooler basically, you know. So started doing that. Got to know some neighbors that way. Because it, our community mailbox goes quite a ways down. So it's like, all right, now I'm connecting with eight different households. We notice after dinner, there's a school behind our house and there's a walking track. All the dog people, the dog people. And we're dog people. We love dogs. So we'd walk our dogs. We started meeting people. And dogs are a deeper connection than like actual physical children. Like people who love dogs connect. That was a joke. It didn't go over very well. But at least that's been my experience. Pet people are passionate about it. And uh, 
And we started kind of creating those rhythms, putting ourselves in spaces where people were. And it wasn't until 18 months in that the, the first neighbor really kind of cracked the door a little bit into how they were really doing. They're going through a really deep struggle that was tied into a long story of about 10 years of pain. And we were just chit-chatting on the dog walk, and I could tell something was bothering her. So after we did the chit-chat, I said, hey, are you okay? You look a little down today. Is anything going on? And there was this long pause. It felt really, really long. It was probably only 15 seconds, but it felt like three minutes. And I could tell she was trying to decide, am I going to actually open up or not? And she did. She said, yeah, I'm, I'm going through a really tough time. I've been thinking about talking to you and Michelle about it. And Michelle was there with me. And she's like, yeah, let's, we'd love for you. Come on down. So we went down to her house and we sat at the table. And the table is a really special place in the life of Jesus. So he begins in prayer, you listen and engage, but eat. A lot of people don't know this, but the, the gospel of Luke is actually a series of 10 meals. So Jesus is either headed to a table, at the table, or headed to the next table. Isn't that amazing? And at the end, he sits at the table, and what does he give to us to remember him by? A meal, right? Now, we've taken it away from a table, and we turn it into like little wafers and a thimble of juice. But like Jesus actually gave us a meal, and that's how the early church did it. It was actually a meal. They called it the love feast. So she sat at our table, and she began to open up her story about some very deep pain. And you know what we did? We began to tell her about some very similar pain in our life. Not to, like, you know, compare pain, but just so she would know. We're like, we're not perfect people. We're in the midst of this, and it was all about forgiveness and unforgiveness. And, and we were honest. There's been people that we've hated in the past. We know it's like when just so it hurts you so bad, and you don't know how to forgive. And she's like, exactly. And the conversation kept going. And three weeks later, we got to share the good news about how we have been able to forgive because we've been forgiven. And we got to share the good news with her. And we prayed together. And the next day when we went out to walk the dog, she came running out of her house. And she was literally yelling her name, Robin Michelle, Robin Michelle. <laughs> We're like, hey. You know. and, and she said, when I got up this morning, it's the first time I felt peace when I woke up. And she said, God was in my room. What is going on? They say, it's the Holy Spirit. And God in his goodness had regenerated her. Isn't that amazing? And we didn't do it. <laughs> we didn't arrange it. I didn't use like some clever series of 10 questions. Like it was 18 months of just being acquaintances, right? And then an invitation to the table. And that's the next one. It's, it's eat. We need to eat. This is... Everybody in this room has a table. You have a back porch. You have a front porch. And if we could activate our back porch, our front porch, our tables, you'd be amazed at what Jesus would do. Jesus' primary strategy for engaging people that were far from God was parties and tables. Parties and tables. That's what he did. In fact, this is the way he's described. It, I love this passage. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So here's the question, all right? Would our neighbors see us as a friend? Like Jesus was a friend to sinners. And he was able to activate those friendships 
by activating his table. And we breathe out by eating with our neighbor and activate your table. And I use the table kind of in quotes. It could actually be your kitchen table. It might be your front porch. Like, I encourage you, a lot of people in the Kansas City Underground, we've moved our grills around to the front. Because if you start grilling meat out front, guess what happens? People are just like, oh, like zombies, like children of the corn just coming out. You know, there's something about it. It's Kansas City. It's barbecue. Come on. Like simple things like that have... uh, Make it apparent that you have an open space. Like, for example, I'm known as the guy in the neighborhood whose garage is always open. My garage is always open. If you looked at my garage, I got two couches in there and all the tools and all the other stuff. But you can tell it's like, that's a hang space, you know. Another story. So I'm working in the garage. And this is about three weeks after that prayer time with Lori. And there's this young guy who's walking back and forth in front of my house three or four times. So it's a little suspicious, never seen him before. He looks like he's maybe 20. So I walk out, I'm like, hey, it looks like you're looking for an address or something. Can I help you? And this young guy, he stops and he says, this is, this is going to be awkward. That's literally what he said. I was like, dude, I love awkward. Like, what's going on? You know? He laughed like you did, right? <laughs> and he's like, well, you, you know Lori? I'm like, oh, yeah, Lori, she's a great friend of ours. He's like, well, I live a few houses down from her. So he's like 12 houses down, never met him. And he's like, she's real close with our family. And she came over, and, and he got real serious real quick. And I'm going through a really hard time. And she started talking about God and how God's changed everything for her. And she said, there's some people down here that know a lot about God. And he looked at me, and he asked, are, are you the God people? <laughs> I was like, yep, we are. Come on up. And he sat in my garage. So 18 months is just small talk, right? 18 months of small talk. Just inviting people, hey, come to the back porch. Hey, come get some barbecue. Just little things like stopping for a dessert, you know? Let's watch the Chiefs in the playoff, right? Just simple things like that. And most people say no. So don't get discouraged, right? But get this. He's in my garage two weeks later, and uh, he had a full-ride scholarship to K-State as a kicker, but he injured his back, and he couldn't kick anymore. So he's suicidal. He just started talking about his identity. This has been my whole life forever. This is all I've done. Football, football, football. I thought I was going to go pro. I mean, and we just, I just began to unpack. There was three passages of Scripture. And it was really interesting. It was raining that night. And the first passage of Scripture I quoted when we were having a conversation on cue, there was a thunder, boom, crack. And it was just like, well, it's a coincidence, right? We keep talking and talking. The Lord brings another scripture to mind. And by the way, Jesus, remember, he said, don't worry about what you're going to say ahead of time. He said, I'll, I'll bring it to memory. By the way, that means like you have to, actually have to put the Bible in there first to be able to remember it, right? So like be reading the Bible every day, and you're going to be amazed by what the Holy Spirit, whoop! Just, so the second passage pops up. It was like, whoa, you know? And, and I share that. Guess what happens on cue? Kaboom! Another thunderstrike. Remember, the gospel will be accompanied, Jesus said, with what? Signs and wonders. Power of the Holy Spirit. Third time, I quote a passage. Boom! The loudest one. This strong, young football player looks at me, and his lip is quivering, and he says, is God talking to me? I said, what do you think? He just started to weep, and he gave his life to Jesus right then and there in my garage. See, he wants to do some crazy stuff in our neighborhoods. But we have to be willing to begin in prayer, listen, and engage 
eat. Open up your home. Open up your table. Open up your garage. Open up your back porch. Just little things. Like in that first neighborhood I told you about, after the kids came over for a few months, we started doing a once-a-month s'mores, you know, in the fire pit. And guess what? The parents came. They wanted to know, like, are, you're feeding our kids half the time. We thought we'd meet you, you know what I mean? And, we, and then it became like twice a month, right? And about a year, year and a half there, we had had spiritual conversations with five or six different neighbors. And they began to open us up into it, it, their lives to us. Like one of our neighbors, their kid had committed suicide. And after they called the ambulance, we were the next people they called. And from my perspective, I didn't think we were that close. But to them, it was like we just knew we wanted to call you. Another neighbor, I, I had this big painting project, and he was a professional painter, and I felt very uncomfortable. It's like, I can't go and ask him to help me paint, because then it's like I'm trying to get him to do his job for free. But the Holy Spirit was like, ask him, ask him. So I asked him. It's like, can, can you help me? He comes over, we're painting about an hour two of painting. He starts opening up how I own this painting business, and it's doing really well, but it's, he literally says, I, don't, I just don't want to do it anymore. And he starts talking about the emptiness of his life, and I get to tell him about Jesus, right? It, it, that, that leads to the next S. See, if you begin a prayer, listen and engage, eat, open your table, then look for ways to serve. Now, first of all, be open to let them serve you. It says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. But Jesus also, when he sent his disciples out in Luke 10, he said, look for people of peace, they're open to you. They welcome you. They serve you. And he says, let them do that. Let them serve you. Let them feed you. Let them open up their world to you. Let them serve you. Look for the people in your neighborhood. They're people of peace. They're open. They're curious. They want to engage. They want to give to you. They want to serve. And, and, and it creates this sense of mutuality and equality when we let someone serve us. Like, I'm not above you. We're in this together. And then serve them. And it's simple things. Like, if somebody's... If you hear that someone's sick or going into the hospital or has a baby, just notice those things. And like, bring a little present over. Or set up a meal train when someone goes into the hospital. You'll be amazed. Most people want to live in a neighborhood that feels like family. Am I right? But it just it requires someone to step out and start doing little things like, hey, we're organizing a meal train for Cindy because she's going into the hospital and she's going to be kind of laid up for a week and Jim needs meals. Would you like to join? People are like, yeah, I would. Lots of times people are just waiting for an invitation, these simple acts of service that open people's hearts. And then what happens is if you begin in prayer, if you listen and engage, if you begin to activate your table and eat and serve people in ways that are meaningful because you're listening and you're praying and you're sharing spaces where you can talk and connect and you're serving, you will always get to share the story. It just, take, it just will be a matter of time. You get to share the story of how Jesus has changed you and how the gospel changes everything. And we breathe in story, again, by taking this posture of listening to our neighbors, right? But then we breathe out our story by sharing how Jesus has changed us and how the gospel changes everything. And in our neighborhood now, it's been amazing. Like we have seven families that we are now following Jesus together. I have to be back by 1130. Because Sundays at 11.30, we meet to break bread, to open the scriptures, and we are the church in City View Farms. And these are people who weren't following Jesus, and they are now following Jesus. And in our little part of West Shawnee, there's six of these families now that have emerged from ordinary people, living the blessed rhythms. And what's, what's pretty cool, it's just one story in closing. Um, 
across the street from that neighbor that I told you about who opened up about the story of pain in her life, a new couple moved in. And uh, they'd been there about six weeks, and we were having a Labor Day party. So she invited them to come to the Labor Day party. And they came, and there was probably maybe six, seven neighborhood families for that party. And they loved it. You know, they, you could tell they're just having a blast. And, you know, it was a carry-in. Everyone's bringing, you know, we don't entertain. What we do is just open your home and you do like a carry-in, a potluck. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a, it's a family effort, right? And they waited till everyone else left. And uh, this young woman, Michaela, she, I could tell she wanted to ask a question. Like she was waiting till everyone left so she could ask a question. And she's like, okay, okay. You know, we've been here six weeks. And you don't hear about families in the 40s and 50s where everybody knows each other. It's open-door policy. Raise your kids together and all that. Like, we feel like we got in a time machine and moved into one of those neighborhoods. Is this for real? She asked me. I said, it actually is. Like, we actually love each other. And she said, okay, was it like this when you guys moved in? I was like, no. No, it actually wasn't. It was the courtesy wave. That's what I told her. And she laughed. She's like, yeah, that's the neighborhood I grew up in, courtesy wave, right? Yeah. And she's like, well, what changed? And again, Jesus said, don't worry about what to say ahead of time. I'll tell you what to say. Well, a phrase from this book that this comes from, it's called The Art of Neighboring, popped into my head. I said, well, there's a group of us here that think Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived. And we believe that when he said, love your neighbor, he meant your actual neighbor. And she laughed. She's like, oh, like it's not a metaphor. Like you're actually supposed to love the people you live by? That's what Jesus wants? I was like, yeah. She's like, that's awesome. When's the next party? (laughs) And about a year of parties is actually a Chiefs game playoff. They lost. And uh, they opened up about their story and some of the pain in their story. And uh, her story, there had even been what you might call some spiritual abuse by Christians. So she had blocked Jesus out for years. But at the end of that conversation, she's like, I just want to, she looked at Michelle and I, she's like, I just want to have a relationship with God like you have. And uh, that was when our microchurch became more formal. And, uh, it was a pretty special moment. I'll bring up a picture here. This is uh, Michaela being uh, baptized in our backyard. And imagine that story, like simple stories like that being played out in neighborhoods all over Kansas City. That would change the spiritual landscape of Kansas City. Am I right? If, if ordinary people just intentionally said, I'm going to begin a prayer. I'm going to listen and engage. I'm going to open up my table. We're going to eat. I'll look for ways to serve. And when the Lord opens the door, I'll trust the Holy Spirit will tell me what to say. And that he'll do the heavy lifting. Because he's the senior partner. I'm the junior partner. I get to join in with what Jesus is doing. And guess what? So do you. So do you. So I want to invite you. Decide in advance just to be here every week of this series. To open yourself up. But today I want to ask you most specifically, begin in prayer. Begin to pray for these neighbors by name. When you're walking in your neighborhood or working in your yard, begin to take this posture of prayer. God, where are you, where are you at work? How can I join you? Go to blesseveryhome.com. Sign up. Start getting five names of neighbors each day and pray those prayer prompts. With that said, let's bow our heads together. And we'll begin in prayer right now. Lord, I just want to ask in your name, Lord, what you've given to me, I want to give to them. Lord, this, Lord, you took me from this kind of cocooned heart that wanted to avoid my neighbors to a heart where I see my neighbors as family, and I thank you for that work, Lord. 
And I just want to pray in the name of Jesus for that to be multiplied all over this room. Holy Spirit, activate the heart and the love that you have for our neighbors in us. I, I just I want to bless these people right now with the, the gift of intercession. Lord, I pray that in their times of prayer they would see you, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, they'd be reminded and see again how amazing you are, that it would fill them and they would want to, they would desire the Lord to just share the goodness of who you are, but to do it in quiet, simple ways. Realizing that small talk is more than small talk. It says, I know you, I care about you. You matter to me. And I pray in these neighborhoods represented here that small talk would become significant conversation that would lead to spiritual conversation that would lead to gospel conversations. Lord, I pray even in the next month there'd be some breakthroughs that only you could get the credit for. And Lord, I thank you for these people. Thank you for their openness to you, to your word. And, and God, we pray you would start something in our midst that we could look back a year from now and have stories only you could get the credit for. And I ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.